Emergency Medical Minute presents Mental Health Monthly. Substance-induced psychosis, the agitated geriatric patient, manic episodes, paramedics, nurses, mid-level providers, and physicians in the ED all regularly have to manage patients with psychiatric conditions, often with limited training and resources. In this series, psychiatric experts keep it real, raw, and relevant about what you need to know to successfully care for these patients in an emergency setting. The Emergency Medical Minute is excited to announce that we are now offering AMA, PRA, Category 1 credits via online course modules. To access these and for more information, visit our website at www.emergencymedicalminute.com backslash CME-courses, or simply click on the link in our show notes and create an account. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Mental Health Minute. I'm Eddie Carrillo, a licensed therapist who is currently working in an eating disorders program in Portland, Oregon. And I'm Justin Romano, a third-year psychiatry resident in Omaha, Nebraska. I'll be starting my child and adolescent fellowship next year. Before we get started, we want to let you know that we have our own podcast called Millennial Mental Health Channel. If you liked today's episode and want to check out more of our show, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at MillennialMHC. So today we're going to talk about a topic that's uh, going to be very useful in the ED, the suicide safety assessment. We also want to point out that we will be giving recommendations based on safety data, but all emergency rooms run a little bit differently, so make sure you practice based on your protocols uh, made by your hospital. So let's start off with some epidemiology. Suicide is the 10th most common cause of death in the United States, and the problem appears to be growing. From 2000 to 2016, the suicide rate rose by 30%, and for young women in the same time frame, their rate increased by 50%. According to a recent CDC report, there have been a 25% increase in ED visits for suicidal thoughts in the past two years. So, this is a growing problem, and you will likely be working with patients with suicidal thoughts. In the U.S., half of all completed suicides are done with firearms. 22% of suicides happen with alcohol level at or above the legal limit, and about 40% of all suicide attempts involve some level of alcohol. 20% of suicide attempts involve opiate intoxication. Oftentimes, the emergency department is the first point of contact for suicidal patients, so it is important to understand the risk assessment and the resources available to patients. As healthcare providers, we are the stewards of the resources that are available to people. Not all suicidal patients need to be in an inpatient psychiatric hospital, so it is important to know who needs hospitalization and who does not. We are hoping that this podcast helps give you a little bit of an idea to be consistent with your suicide assessment. First, we suggest using an objective screening tool. Most emergency rooms already use a suicide safety screening tool. You may have heard about the Columbia Suicide Safety Rating Scale, the CSSRS. Screening tools are useful for catching suicidal thoughts, but oftentimes more in-depth assessment must be done when the screening tool is positive. For example, even though we have rating scales to guide our decision-making, it's still largely up to the provider to make a plan with the patient. Even the CSSRS has a warning on it saying, ultimately, the determination of the presence of suicidal ideation or behavior depends on the judgment of the individual administering the scale. 
Some people believe that suicide is not preventable, but the data supports that suicide is preventable. You often hear, quote, if people want to do it, they'll find a way. And although that may be true in some instances, there are measures that you can take that have been shown to reduce the risk of suicide. The most important one is removing firearms from the home, especially in the U.S. In the United Kingdom, the most common form of suicide used to be breathing in the carbon monoxide containing gas from the oven. You've heard of the poet Sylvia Plath, who died by suicide using this method. Well, those crazy Brits decided to make a change and switch the entire country's gas network to natural gas, which does not have carbon monoxide. After this was done, the suicide rates dropped significantly because the population no longer had an easy, free access to a highly lethal and painless method of suicide. So risk reduction strategies do work. So what to do in the emergency department? Well, ask the patient about guns. Ask if the family would give the guns to a family friend while the patient is suicidal. I even like to ask the social worker for resources. Oftentimes they have gun locks that prevent the gun from firing. We also love social workers on our show, and we find them to be incredibly useful in most situations because they're the best for knowing what resources are available for people. A person's risk for suicide depends on their collection of risk factors and protective factors. According to the Suicide Prevention Resource Center, risk factors for suicide include 1. Prior suicide attempts. This is the most important factor. Prior attempts carries the highest risk for suicide attempts. 2. Using alcohol or substances. About 30% of completed suicides find alcohol in the system on autopsy. This is because alcohol does a few different things to your brain. First, it makes you more myopic or short-sighted. This prevents people from thinking about long-term consequences of their decisions. Second, alcohol impairs your frontal lobe, which helps us make thoughtful decisions. Third, it makes you more impulsive. This impulsivity may help you talk to an attractive person at the bar, but also increases your risk for making harmful decisions. Three, mental disorders, primarily depression. If someone is super depressed, their chances for suicide increase. Oftentimes, people who are severely depressed have thoughts that they are worthless and genuinely believe that committing suicide or dying by suicide would make everyone else around them better off. That is why it is important to get people treatment for depression. Bipolar disorder also has a high risk for suicide, a higher risk for suicide than the general public. Personality disorders can also increase your risk, so it is important to weigh the psychiatric and psychological factors at play in preventing suicide. Number four, access to lethal means. This is uh, the most important modifiable risk factor. Oftentimes you hear people say, if they want to commit suicide, they're going to find a way to do it. That's not always true. Data suggests that reducing access to lethal means has real world alterations to suicide risk. That is why it is, it is so important to ask about firearms in the home and encourage people to give up those, trust, those guns to a trusted friend while they're suicidal. Five, knowing someone who has died by suicide, particularly a family member. Number six, social isolation. Humans are social beings and we rely on people to meet our physical and emotional needs. Many people do not have any social support. So if you have a patient saying, I don't have any family or friends in the area to go to after discharge, then you might be more inclined to send a patient to the inpatient hospital for admission. Seven, chronic disease or disability. So much of our societal identity is wrapped up in a person's ability to work. 
When people can't work, they can feel like a burden to others. When people don't feel useful or feel like a burden, they are more likely to attempt suicide. Number eight, lack of access to mental health resources. The evidence shows us that people who have good and regular access to mental health care are less likely to attempt suicide. So it is important that we get people the resources they need. Number nine, recent changes in social status. This is best understood with an example. Say you have a middle-class gentleman who loses his, se- his job secondary to a global pandemic. He is able to maintain his quality of life for a few months, but eventually has to sell his house and move to an apartment with his family in a lower socioeconomic part of town. This quick change in social status can be a risk factor for suicide. And number 10, other high-risk groups to be aware of are your older Caucasian gentlemen, particularly if they have been widowed, have minimal social support, drink at night, and have some military experience. Also, the suicide rate in the LGBT plus population is higher than general. Side note, if you want to establish good rapport with transgendered patients, validate them by using their pronouns. We suggest introducing yourself like, hi, I'm Dr. Romano, he, him, his. What's your name and preferred pronouns? Uh, The other group at high risk for suicide is Native Americans and Alaska Natives who have the highest risk of all ethnicities. Now that we've talked about many of the risk factors, let's talk about the protective factors of suicide. These are the things that will lower suicide risk. So good follow-up, people who have someone checking up on them, managing medications, and providing therapy lowers their suicide risk. Number two, good social support, when people feel connected to the people around them. Number three, life skills. Four, purpose in life. Five, cultural or religious beliefs, particularly religions that believe suicide is a sin and will send them to to the bad place. And number six, children and some sense of responsibility to family. So what does that mean for you in the emergency department? We want to give you specific recommendations. So these recommendations are based on an algorithm published in the Annals of Emergency Medicine in 2017. Uh, There's an infographic that's free on PubMed if you want to Google emergency department suicide safety algorithm, and it should pop up. First, if a patient is intoxicated and stating that, that they are suicidal, wait for them to sober up and reassess. Oftentimes, people who are acutely drunk will state they are suicidal, remember, alcohol is a depressant, get put in the psych hospital, sober up, and ask why they are there. That psych hospital admission costs a few thousand dollars just for the patient to discharge the very next day, so if they are intoxicated, let them sober up and then reassess. If the patient has significant medical issues that require hospitalization, admit to the hospital floor and assess for suicide. This is kind of a first things first situation. If they are medically unstable, that has to resolve before admitting to the psych hospital. Psych hospitals don't really have the resources to take care of medically sick patients, and often medical equipment is a strangulation hazard on the psych unit, so the patient's cannot have any lines or IVs with them when they go to the hospital. Unless you have access to a med psych unit, which are kind of rare but extremely useful, you have to admit to a medical floor first. If they have suicidal thoughts, a plan to do it, and are reaching out for help because they don't actually want to end their life and are voluntarily going to the psych hospital, send them to the psych hospital. 
When should you consult psychiatry or a psychologist to assess? Again, every hospital system is a little bit different, but one of my favorite mentors told me that a psychiatrist should be there to explain in patient psych, answer questions, and provide resources to the patient, uh, especially if they are actively suicidal. You should also consult psychiatry or a psychologist if you're worried about the patient and they're denying they're suicidal. For example, if the patient just had a suicide attempt and are saying, quote, I'm fine, it was a mistake, and I'm not going to harm myself, get a psychiatrist on board to assess. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who say they're fine, and when I call collateral, the family says, quote, please keep them in. They keep trying to kill themselves and won't go to the hospital. If you don't have access to psychiatry or are in a position to make the decision on your own, uh, we can use a variety of different methods to assess for suicidal thoughts. The first, as we mentioned earlier, is the Columbia. This is a rating scale that will give you a low, medium, and high risk category. Low risk may be appropriate to discharge. High risk may be more appropriate to admit to inpatient psych. It is still your clinical decision. I also like using the sad persons mnemonic, which is fair warning. This does not have any uh, validation to it in terms of uh, scientific rigorousness. It hasn't been studied to be effective, but it's a tool that can still be useful either way. Uh, So sad person stands for sex, age, depression, previous attempt, excess substances, rational thinking deficit, a social support deficit, O is organized plan, N is no spouse, and S is sickness. Obviously, that is a lot to remember, so Google it before seeing a patient, write it down, and ask those specific questions. The patient gets one point for every positive answer, zero to four points is low risk, five to six points is a medium risk, and seven to ten points is high risk. And our last suggestion is to get collateral. Talking to family members is important to make sure that the patient is telling the truth. If someone wants to take their life, they might lie to get out of the hospital. So getting collateral is a good way to trust but verify. Basically, what we're trying to do is come up with a plan that is best for the patient. And let's face it, we're trying to prevent you from getting sued. So we want to talk about documentation. In your assessment and plan, talk about the risk factors and protective factors. Document the results of the screening questionnaire you used. Putting those things in your notes shows that you took the time to thoroughly assess and you made a clinical decision based on the facts, evidence, and standard of care. Our last point we want to make is about involuntary holds. If you are the provider and you believe that the patient is at a high acute risk for suicide, needing inpatient hospitalization, and the patient is refusing to go, you may have to place a hold on that patient. Because laws around this vary from state to state, we didn't want to dive into the specifics. So some take-home points. Suicide rates are rising in this country. Suicide is preventable, so be sure you ask about the most important modifiable risk factor, guns in the home, and advocate that your patient remove them. Point number three, we love social workers, and they are great for understanding the resources available to the patient and can sometimes provide useful equipment such as gun locks. Use objective scales. We mentioned a few, including the Columbia and the sad persons, but there are many out there. If you use the same scale every time, you know that you will be consistent with your assessment and your decisions will be based in evidence. And finally, document, document, 
and document. Don't just put, quote, patient no longer endorsing suicide, discharge to home. Put in the risk factors and protective factors. Document your thought process. Eddie and I are super glad you joined us for this podcast. We want to thank the Emergency Medical Minute for having us on. Remember that if you're interested in mental health or have just fallen in love with the silky smooth voice of Eduardo Carrillo, you can hear us uh, on our own podcast, the Millennial Mental Health Channel. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. Like us on Instagram, Twitter, and thanks for listening. Hello, EMM listeners. We are dedicated to providing you with high-quality educational content free of charge and without ads. As a nonprofit organization, we rely solely on donations. So if you enjoy our show and are able to make a one-time or recurring donation to help cover our operational costs, any amount is helpful in making this show possible. Click the link in our show notes to make a donation. Thank you.